Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode, it is my pleasure to introduce you to two members of our Writerly Love community and bring you into our book club conversation. We've been doing our close craft book readings for a couple of years now, so I just love the idea that we're bringing you, dear listeners, who are not members of the Writerly Love community yet, into this conversation. You can always learn more about the community and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. If you want a roundup of everything we read before the book that we're discussing today, you can also check out our supersized episode number 62 at rachelthompson.co slash podcasts. That was when our community facilitator and my co-producer for the podcast, Millie Walker, and I went through 17 craft books that we'd read. Our focus in this conversation today is an oldie but a goodie book, The Poet's Companion, A Guide to the Pleasures of Writing Poetry by Kim Adonisio and Dorian Lau, and listen to learn about how the book changed the way two writers who were newer to poetry even read poems now after reading the book. And myself, I came to writing via poetry and my love of verse, so it's always exciting for me to hear how writers who started primarily in fiction and creative nonfiction are inspired to delve more into poetry can listen for our assessment of who this book is for and what you, dear Luminous Writer, can glean from it. And our aim is to give you enough of an overview that you will know if it's a craft guide you want to have on your own bookshelf. So here is Jennifer Robinson and Candace Webb in a conversation we recorded live in our Writerly Love community. Hello and welcome, everyone. We are here to talk about the Writerly Love Book Club read for January and February. We've been reading it. It feels like a bit longer, but it's maybe because I've had this book for many years as well. So I've been familiar and sitting with this book for a while. The book that we are reading is called The Poet's Companion, A Guide to the Pleasures of Writing Poetry. I'm emphasizing that word pleasures because I think it's something I want to pick up in our conversation. A little background is I picked this book up after hitting a bit of a wall with finding a book that would fit our needs for writers who are both seasoned poets and newbies and also for writing that felt at least somewhat representative of the writers in our community and not too formal. And that was after kind of looking and seeing, oh, surely there's been another book that has come out 
since then, it's going to be the book that we need to pick up. I mean, I think there are many different books on poetry, but this one has this enduring quality. It is dated, though. It's from 1997, has some issues that show its age, which we're going to get into. But it also has some enduring qualities, which we will describe in this chat. And with me today to discuss this are the lead readers from the Writerly Love community, Jennifer Robinson and Candace Webb, who both were charged with being the main readers for the book and leading the conversation that we had in the community. So welcome, both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. This is the first time that we are recording our book club chat for both the community, which we always do, but also for the podcast, for the broader writing community. I guess I want to start with the question, just what were your first impressions of The Poet's Companion? And how did each of you come to this book in the first place? I had actually started this book many years ago. My mother and I had a little writing club. And so we were working through some of the prompts. And then it just kind of fell off for us. And that was quite a while ago. But I always knew I wanted to come back to it. And so I was really excited when this was the book club book, because I had had that experience with it. And was a great experience. So that's how I came to the book. Yes, I um, actually had bought it because I was looking into doing poetry at the end of last year. And then it was just sitting there, of course, because that's what I do. I buy books and, and I don't always read them. And then when it came up for a book club, I was yes, now I can read it. I am interested that both of you were reading it in community because, as I recall, I also was reading it in a book club when we were doing the exercises together. So there's something very community-wise about this book. And also, I'm realizing we should identify who's speaking. So it was Jennifer who spoke first and Candace who spoke second. <laughs> and so you get a sense of their voices. And now Jennifer also has something to say. And sorry, I interrupted you in the Zoom. Go ahead. I was just going to finish answering your question about first impressions of the book. And my first impression was that it was very accessible. And I think poetry sometimes, many times for me, has not felt that way. And this book allowed really an opening into that world in a way that someone like me who is not a poet and has not studied poetry could really engage with. Yeah. I had taken a poetry class last year the first time. I mean, I studied science, so I don't have a background in English or any of this. And I really didn't know anything about it. And like you, I didn't find poetry very accessible. But this book, yeah, it wasn't very dense. I feel like I could go back to it anytime and find what I needed. Because it's not, you know, a 400-page book. And the exercises were super helpful. Yeah, it's got these just little short chapters you can kind of dive in and dive out. You know, you can kind of get as deep into it as you would like in some ways. Like, I felt like you could just kind of read it in an easy kind of surface-level way, flitting in and out of it. Or you could take it really deep. Like, there's some opportunities to really do some work on this. So I appreciated that. When you say that about going deeper... Are you thinking more like the chapters where they illustrate a point and they're sort of describing a type of writing? Is that what you mean? I guess I was thinking kind of about the chapter on grammar, where it's like you can just kind of skim that and do some of the exercises and you kind of get a sense of it. Or you could really get into that and learn all about positives and verbal phrases and clauses. And I don't even know. What else. <laughs> But then there was another example I had too that I really liked because I love the prompts in this book. I feel like the prompts were really some of the best parts of this book. So listen to this prompt. So choose a poet you admire, 
read at least one book of his or her work and carefully study how this writer uses line and stanza. Then take a draft of one of your own poems and read you the lines and stanzas as you imagine this writer would. So like, that's a lot of work if you have the capacity and energy for it. But then there's another prompt right underneath, which is take a short poem by William Carlos Williams, such as the Red Wheelbarrow, and copy the rhythms of his lines exactly, substituting your own words. So that's like less intensive, but I think you still would get something out of it. And I just found that the book did that throughout where it had these opportunities for like a lot of deeper study. But if you don't have the time or energy for that in the moment, you can kind of do the other stuff. Yeah. And I think they really recognize that too, because in that grammar chapter, they're like, okay, now once you finish these positives, stop. Don't do it. Come back to this later. It's too much. Their own recognition of that was helpful. You're both touching on something that I guess became invisible to me after a while, but it's got a nice tone. I mean, I knew Kim Andonisio's poetry before I had this book and was a fan of her writing. So part of what drew me to it. But yeah, there's such a nice I don't know, you do feel like you're just in the company of poets talking about poetry and, you know, in a very familiar, friendly kind of way. Can I ask you a question about that, Rachel? Sure. Like with the grammar section, for example, how much do we as aspiring poets need to know about positives and noun phrases and prepositions? Is that really important to study? I have to say I was an English major and that was what I really enjoyed was that kind of grammar geek stuff. So I'm just revealing a bit of myself here. But yeah, I don't think so though. I mean, I certainly know a lot of poets who they throw grammar out the window and they're not interested in the really formal approach to writing. There's such a variety in the types of poetry that exist in this world that I think the main requirement for poets is interest in something one of my niche interests happens to be grammar as well, which obviously informs the writing too. But I don't think it's a requirement. I love that. The main requirement is interest. Yeah, well, it's about looking really closely at something, I think. You know, we're talking about some of the exercises there. And I'm curious about if and how the book enriched your poetry writing. I know, Candice, you've only recently picked it up um, and read it through our book club month, although we did have a poetry quest that we'd worked on together too during that time. And did it introduce you to new forms or ideas apart from a positives and grammar nerd stuff? In the class I took, it was more like free verse poetry. And so, you know, I don't really have a foundation in, you know, what is a villanelle? What is a sestina? So that was interesting to me. And I also felt like I really wanted to know why lines were broken up a certain way and you know, why you might put a period in the middle and what effects those would have. And so I didn't know if there were rules about that. But in the music of the line chapter, they basically say, yes, there are no rules. There are only effects. If you do this, you'll get this effect, for example. So if the sentence spans several lines, then you get kind of a a momentum going. And then when it comes to a stop, it's like a breaking of the tension, they were saying. So I thought that was interesting. And just to have that kind of in the back of your mind when you're exploring the writing of poetry is kind of helpful. For me, that's something I really wanted to know. I totally relate to that. The music of the line chapter, that was so useful to think about things in this way. I think I read poetry differently now after reading just that chapter even. And they talk about the different stresses on different words and how that contributes to the rhythm of the line or the poem. It almost feels like a whole other language 
to me to start to learn like how the rhythm of the words how we receive that as a reader in a way that is beyond the content of the words, you know, like we have to learn that sort of deeper language of the poem. So I really appreciated that chapter. It sort of likens it to more like, and what they're saying, the music of the line, it's like you can read the words, but then there's a melody underneath that almost pay attention to as well. That's why I always encourage, especially poets to read their work aloud because you can really get a better sense of that music in your own writing that way. So I mentioned the subtitle of the book has the word pleasures in it, plural as well. And I'm wondering if you've thought about what are the pleasures of writing poetry and did you find them in this book as promised? I had so much fun writing so much bad poetry. It was wonderful. So the little short chapters And then at the end, there's a bunch of prompts, but sort of by the time you get to the prompts, what they've said in the chapter has really made you feel energized and open and inspired so that when you get to the prompts, you're ready to do this writing. And and then it's sort of fun and easy. That was my experience of it for the most part. Something about the little chapters, and they give you little examples along the way. They were short to the point, kind of juicy and inspiring. And then you got to do these prompts. And so I definitely felt like it was a lot of fun. I would say so. I think those 20-minute exercises, I tried one in a U-Haul north of Damascus. It's one about traveling, traveling to a place where you either love or hate. And I really was surprised how much I had to say and how much fun it was to say it about this road trip that we used to do in California that I always hated going through the desert. It's so depressing to me, but like (laughs) I was surprised at how many things like I could describe in detail about that but it was fun like it was a fun ride and then you know when the 20 minutes was up I could have still kept going yeah that's a really generative prompt then for you that's great I'm wondering if you can share some of the key things writers should know about this book before choosing to spend time with it maybe even starting to think about audience which we all have to do about our own writing as well but who would it be good for who maybe would it not be good for I would say that it's probably not great for someone who's, you know, has an MFA in poetry, but it is great for anyone who's just looking to get an idea about it. And also because it gives so many examples of such a wide range of poems, like Sharon Olds or Gwendolyn Brooks and all this stuff. I think that it's really helpful just as a launching pad for exploring more. And anyone, I think, who wants to enhance their writing at the line level, because poetry, I think, can really inform your writing of creative nonfiction and fiction as well. Absolutely agree, which is one of the reasons I'm really getting into poetry these days, because I've been noticing a lot of poets winning nonfiction contests. And I'm like, what is this about? But it does, you know, it really adds to your ability as a writer, I think. So I would agree with everything you said and just add that also another potential audience group for this book is anyone who feels a bit intimidated by poetry or maybe hasn't really had the greatest experiences with it, but still wants to find some way into this world of this particular art form. I think this is a great book for doing that. I noticed too, Jen, you're referring to bad poetry, and I'm wondering if this book helped you shift to think of it as like unfinished poetry, maybe instead? (laughs) 
You know what? By the time I got to the end of it, I think I was thinking of it that way. So the 20 minute writing prompt that I did was super fun. So I did the one that I believed one. It's very specific. You know, it tells you like, write down six things you seriously believe in and three silly or outrageous things, six rules for yourself, four as a person, two as a poet, and then stir them all together and see what happens. And that was really fun. And I did that. And yeah, what I have as a result is unfinished. Now I see it that way. It's like, it's not bad poetry. It just needs some more stirring, some more mixing around. We'll, we'll see what happens to it. The book has a writing life section, which I think is also maybe something that is what makes it feel enduring to me. And in particular, there's a section on self-doubt and writer's block. Although it was Melly, who's our producer for this episode, who mentioned to me and reminded me that there's the electronic age chapter in there, which does not hold up, but we do not expect the authors to be time travelers. So they didn't know in 1997 what the electronic age would really look like, or we would stop calling it that, I guess. But from self-doubt, they write, every great and not so great writer has suffered bouts of feeling worthless, lazy, untalented, mediocre, and boring. It's page 195 in the book. And I don't know about you too, but I need to constantly hear this advice. So I'm happy to, that it appears here. And in many of the caring craft books we've cracked in our book club, is there anything that you found in that section that gave, you know, maybe some more self-belief in your writing or that you just remarked upon? I love that Sylvia Plath quote where she writes in her journal, can a selfish, egocentric, jealous, and unimaginative female write a damn thing worthwhile? And this is Sylvia Plath. You know, it's just, thank you. This is a shared common humanity that we all have this self-doubt that we work with and work through. And I really appreciated that and appreciate being reminded of that. Yeah. And there's another story in there about this writer that insists he's no good or whatever. The whole paragraph, he's won this, he's won that, but I'm no good. It's heartening to know that other people feel that way, for sure. They have the exercise at the end where you can sort of respond to that negative voice by writing, free writing and stuff like that, which I think is often helpful because, yeah, you can really get stuck in it. It's like heartening and then also disheartening because you're like, well, there's no level I can reach where that voice is going to stop. It's just always going to be a part of the equation, unfortunately. But it helps to know that others are in that <laughs> equation with you. Then I'll turn to the craft section of the book. There are lots of lovely thoughts on images and simile and metaphor and the music of the line, which you've already mentioned. I guess maybe apart from that section, which we've talked about, are there any other sections that resonated with you more than some of the others and why? I think for me, it was the meter, rhyme, and form because... I don't have any idea. Like people will say, oh, it's iambic pentameter. And I'm like, I don't know what that means at all. And so it was nice to sort of read through that and get a few definitions and how people actually put emphasis on different words and how you can use that to affect. So for me, that was definitely another one. That one stood out to me too. And I really appreciated it. I think it helps me now read poetry differently within an enriched kind of way, like deeper than I had before I read that section. So really grateful for that. And I also like the section on writer's block. I thought they said some really good things and it was very gentle. You know, it was like, don't push yourself. But if you are in this state where you're feeling like you're blocked and have nothing to say, 
the analogy they used is that you're empty and you need to fill up again. So, you know, go to an art gallery, go to a movie, experience life, get some enriching experiences, pay attention to what's around you, fill up. And then when you're ready, you'll have that store to draw upon in your writing. I really liked everything that they said in that section. And then they had some prompts like this one. I love they say, if that fails, write about why you can't write. I just love that. I think it reminds me of, I think it was Rilke who had writer's block. And then he figured out, he said like something about if you're in prison, then you describe the bars, you know, that's all you can do. I appreciated that. It reminded me of Julia Cameron and the artist's way. Oh yeah. Filling the well. That's what I thought of. Cause I think it's around the time when she published her book as well, which I thought was interesting. I guess it's like the writer's doubt part that I'm saying I need to hear that over and over again. And I'm glad that it's a feature in a lot of craft books that we read. And then also this too, just as you're saying it, I'm thinking, oh yeah. And even, you know, that idea, I think kind of seeped into my bones, the idea of, oh, you need to fill that well, or, or like you said, go out and notice and experience things. Cause it's definitely become part of the advice that I give to other people. And then hearing you now is like, oh yeah, I need to do that too. So it's like, can I give myself that advice as well? Thank you for sharing those. I think connecting that rookie line with that notion is something that's going to stick with me from this conversation. So thank you for that, Jen. I'm interrupting our book club conversation to invite you to join us to hone your craft, build your writing platform, and connect with other luminous creative writers in the Writerly Love community. This is my warm, inclusive, and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn about everything from writing craft and getting published, to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. It is a place to grow a luminous writing career with a community of brilliant peers. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love membership community. Registration is open year-round now, and I offer a sliding scale pricing model to make it accessible to as many writers as possible. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. Is there any section that you didn't resonate as much with or that you felt was skimmable, I guess, or something that you wanted to skip through? That section on voice, I found strange. And you know, Rachel, and I know from listening to your podcast that voice is something that editors will always say that they want a really distinct voice, but nobody can really tell you what that is. You know, it's just a hard thing to define. And so, you know, they give examples in that chapter, which is great. And I appreciate it. But it's just a hard thing to talk about in general, I think. Somehow that chapter, I don't know. What did you think, Candace? I thought it was interesting. I think this is the chapter that you mentioned you thought it was pretty prescriptive. It stood out to you because the rest of the book wasn't like that. I can see what you mean with that. I kind of thought it was cool, though, that they had steps to find your voice. I know there's no particular way to do that, but at least they had some exercises, I felt like, to explore it. The simile and metaphor, I just kind of was like, okay, because I felt like I had a little bit of a handle on it, whether I do or not truly is the question, but I felt that way. I felt like I'd seen that. I noticed in my copy too, the simile metaphor chapter, I have nothing underlined, which is very rare for this book. So yeah, similar experience with that. My co-producer for this episode and our community facilitator, Melly Walker, is reminding me that our next book club pick is Voice First, a writer's manifesto by Sonia Huber, perhaps 
Huber, Huber. She writes about voices, plural, which I think is really interesting to think about for writers. Already that has me interested in cracking that book, the idea that we maybe have more than one voice. And the word manifesto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the book is co-authored as well, too. So there may be parts that we don't know is written by one author or the other. <laughs> and you're resonating with one author in particular, and we wouldn't really be able to dissect that <laughs> without talking to them, I guess. We talked a bit about the generative prompts, and they're scattered throughout the book as well. But I'm wondering, and this is a big part of why I chose the book, because I do think the ones that get you writing, and Jen, you and I have that shared experience where we picked it up because we were writing with other people, and it was something that was useful to get us writing and working toward a prompt together. And then we've done that in the community. We had Poem a Day Poetry Quest for two weeks last month, and we used some of the prompts from that book for that quest. So I'm just wondering, my question for you both is if you could name one of the prompts that was most generative or exciting to you, and if you could even let us know what page it's on and we could read the prompts to share with our listeners as well. I actually really liked the acrostic. I don't know if the acrostic came directly from the book, but I liked that one because I really like the idea of having the beginning of words spelled out and then you can you just have something to start with right it's like a seed so i felt like that was helpful as well i liked the chapter and the especially the prompts in the chapter labeled the shadow i just find that so useful because the shadow is something as humans we try to repress and avoid and yet it often provides the juiciest richest material for our writing and i just think it's really important as a human to allow that material to be a part of our experience because it, it is anyway, you know, I think it's more dangerous when we repress it. It feels very Jungian too. And <laughs> if you don't mind me saying, I know that you are also professionally working in the field of psychology or therapy. When you say that about the shadow, I mean, which I also love, but I'm like, ooh, that seems also like a professional interest. Speaking of interests. Absolutely. I really resonated with this chapter. It is a professional. And yeah, I'm the kind of person who when someone wants to tell me their dream, I'm like, Ooh, tell me, tell me everything. <laughs> okay, here's one that I really loved on page 62. What repels you? The smell of garbage, sloppiness, people who never shut up, make a list of things you dislike intensely, choose one or more and try to transform them into something appealing or beautiful. And then below that, we have take a trait that you're proud of and find the opposite trait within yourself. And it even gets into like, write a poem in the voice of a murderer, make the reader sympathetic to the murderer. That's heavy. That's some stuff. I was searching through my book just to find, because they do mention the acrostic in it too, Candice, because I couldn't remember if they had an abecedarian or, which I think is how you're supposed to say that. <laughs> I always want to say abecedarian, but abecedarian, and they definitely have acrostic on page... 149. And that's when they're just showing different forms of... Yeah. Oh, it's number nine on page 150. So it's do an acrostic, a poem in which you spell something down the left-hand side of the page. Those letters then start each line of the poem. And then they give an example we like is Diane Wachowski's Justice is Reason Enough. And I'm not sure if that's actually in the book, but then that's something you can go and look at if you'd wanted to. One thing I do really love, and I think poets that I admire do this, is work with really formal prompts to force themselves to generate something. So I'm also a fan of 
the idea of, oh, okay, now you have to spell something on the left-hand column of the page or have a certain meter or, or rhyme scheme. I'm less successful with that. I find I'm definitely more of a free verse writer, but there's something cool about having that constraint that helps us generate. I think especially for when we're blocked, I think it's good to just be like, okay, here are the rules today. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just if you're already stuck and everything's wide open to you, then it's paralyzing sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes having that structure can allow difficult material to be processed, right? Because there's almost a container for it. It just sort of can make really difficult stuff feel more manageable. I think they talk about that at some point too in the book. That's an added bonus, I think. Yes. When you say that too, it's making me think of the lyric essay as well too, which is not poetry, but also there are more forms coming out of that. Like the hermit crab essay is one in particular that's supposed to be the shell that protects the writer. And I I try to extend that metaphor or in my mind, I extend that metaphor to like, what's the home for this work? And something that seems very formal and in control can help you write about something that feels messy and out of control, I find. How did this book affect your writing life in a positive way or did it? Well, it actually got me writing poetry. So I'm thrilled about that. (laughs) That's amazing. I would not have done that without this book. I feel more comfortable with poetry, more engaged with it, more interested in writing it, just more confident. I agree. I think it's really helpful just reading all the poems in this book. And then I feel like I can go and understand other poetry better because it was always for me, it was like, I can't read poetry. I'm not going to understand it impossible, but I just don't feel that way anymore. I feel, as you said, confident about writing and reading it. One of my longtime secret goals is to convert every writer into a poet as well. So I'm very thrilled about that (laughs) because I do think there is something that feels like a secret club for people. And there's certainly genres like subgenres of poetry and formal stuff that still intimidates me and certain poets who have those super sharp minds that are kind of scary sharp. But I do think there is no like secret handshake, really. That idea of interest to me is just always the main criteria and everything else is like just extra. I feel like we've answered everything else on my list of questions. There are things happening in the chat because we are here live with our writing community. We have a couple of people here anyway, who are also joining us and they're mentioning things. So What I wanted to do, Melly, is just have you talk about the, do you want a chicken sandwich and what you liked about that part of it? So we'll just sort of make this a bit more of an open discussion with those of us who are here. I was going to read just the introduction to the 20 minute prompt section, just because I like the opening paragraph and it kind of picks up on what you were saying about how helpful prompts can be. And I noticed that Alyssa did say in the chat that prompts have been really helpful Alyssa says, writerly love and other workshops have helped me fall in love with prompts. It's so helpful when I don't know where to start. So the section from the book, as I mentioned, the first paragraph introducing the 20-minute writing prompts, it starts with, can you write a poem in 20 minutes? We seriously doubt it. What you can do, though, is get one started. Having a time limit can keep you focused on the task at hand and help you push past the urge to get up from your desk and clean up the cat box or call your best friend. So I just like the like frankness of that. And like you were saying about thinking of it as bad poetry, just to have a sense of humor and a sense of lightness and irreverence about it. And then how you moved into thinking of it as unfinished poetry or 
poetry and process. Like that's a great way to put it. So one of the prompts in there is, do you want a chicken sandwich? And it says, what's your most acutely embarrassing moment? We wonder if you can top this one described by Norman Stock in his bizarrely wonderful book, Buying Breakfast for My Kamikaze Pilot. I won't read it, but the poem is there for you to read. And then after you've read the poem, which is fairly short, the prompt is write a poem describing in excruciating detail a moment of embarrassment. Such incidents are often funny after the fact, of course, try to see and convey the humor in your situation. So that one I really liked. And then there's American Burying Beetle. For this exercise, you'll first need to do a bit of research, pick an animal that intrigues you or even one that repels you. Find out how it lives, mates, eats, etc. You might get your information from a book on animals. This is where we see 1992 coming through. The Encyclopedia, a nature show on television, or the science pages of the newspaper. So those prompts of where to look is quite cute, right? Because we don't think that way anymore. We would just go on Wikipedia or do a Google. And I would say that would be fun too. Like what are the first things that come up about an animal compared to after you've spent 10 minutes researching? And that could be a fun way to think about the sort of like surface knowing of an animal and the non-surface and a more deeper understanding of its biology. But anyways, I'll stop reading from the prompt, but that's an idea of what kind of prompts they offer. But then as you say, You've both mentioned Candace and Jennifer about all the prompts throughout the book. And there's just so much poetry in here. And I love what you're saying about feeling more confident about reading poetry too, because that's part of the noticing and part of the inspiration is to look at what other people are noticing and then notice those reactions in yourself and what that makes you notice. So it's a really lovely continuation that goes on. I think Jen, you and I had an interaction a while back where I said one of my interests is interest. <laughs> and it really is true. Like I really love seeing what people are interested in. I think of that film adaptation where Nicolas Cage played twins and this sort of really wild thing. But the whole thing was he was interested in this guy who was interested in orchids. And I really related to that guy that was interested in the interested and how is like fascinating it was that that person had this really interesting interest. So I think that's also maybe... What I love about poetry, too, because that's what it's all about, is what is this person really interested in taking in, us into this moment of experience, this intense close-up view or faraway view or whatever perspective that they're taking? Yeah, I feel like it'll fall down into something you're interested in. Just like go to the bottom of the hole or whatever. And poetry kind of allows you to do that, I think, in a smaller space. I love that. Yeah, go to the bottom of the hole and then, you know, see what you can pull out on the way back up. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you both because you've been just such great readers for this month. And thanks for joining me on the podcast too, with this new thing that we're trying with a very old book, which is also really interesting to be like, I mean, it would be interesting for the authors maybe to find people are talking about their books so many years later as well. Although maybe not so surprising because it is really an enduring book. And thanks, Alyssa, yeah, for being here as well. Are there any final thoughts or things that we missed that we wanted to share about the book? I think, I guess one question I have for the authors, because we would not be able to ask them, is like, I'm surprised it hasn't been updated. Because often there'll be editions of these books. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe they just lost interest. Yeah. And I'm not as familiar with the second author, Dorian Lau or Lux, 
I did notice Kim Antonisio's, you know, still writing books and I think was up for an award recently is why I saw her name go by, but that is interesting. Why has that book not been updated and <laughs> that <laughs> embarrassing chapter on the electronic age <laughs> removed? The Writerly Love community is my warm and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn everything from writing craft like we do by reading books like this and having guests and other discussions and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join us. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. So that was Jennifer Robinson and Candace Webb talking about The Poet's Companion, A Guide to the Pleasures of Writing Poetry by Kim Adonisio and Dorian Lau. As I mentioned in the episode, I love the interest that poets bring to the world, and I love the interest and attentions our readers in the community and our two lead readers, Jen and Candace, brought to the conversation. We had over two months in our community chat and then culminating in this call. You may have noticed that we mentioned our next book read. We have already started reading Voice First by Sonia Hubber, and we invite you, dear listeners, to join us and read this book. The link to find it is in the show notes, and we'll have another conversation episode in a little over a month to discuss the book. So start reading now and get ready to join the conversation through the podcast episode, or you can join and become a member and join our sustained ongoing conversation, and you can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. I will give a fuller update of our expanded book club plans that include you, dear listeners, in an upcoming State of the Community episode, which will be episode 70. This is episode 68, which is where you'll find all the show notes and everything is up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. And when you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every week and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to read the book we discussed or get more confident about reading and writing poetry, I would love to hear all about it. You can email me at hello at rachelthompson.co. And tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or searching for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to follow your interests and write luminously. Here is some notes about where my guests spoke to me from. I am Candace Webb, and I am on the land, traditional territories of the Massachusetts people. I am Jennifer Robinson, and I am here on Treaty 1 territory, which is the traditional land of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oja Cree, Dene, Dakota, and the Métis Nation. This is Melly Walker, recording from unceded Wasaint Niche territories. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and currently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.